0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. member FDIC. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie,
1: season 1 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by number 1 New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie. He looked at his face in the mirror a dozen times in a dozen different ways, but he couldn't find any sign of that nasty cut. There was redness, like mild sunburn on the area where the bandage had been, but nothing else. Quentin tilted his head this way and that, pulled at his skin, amazed at what he didn't see. John Tweedy walked by, dressed in only a towel. Cut all gone, farm boy! Quentin looked at the bigger man and just nodded. You're a dumb backwoods cracker, scrolled across Tweedy's forehead. You won't find the cut, you stupid hick! It's fixed! Tweedy said. Then he put on a sarcastic, wide-eyed expression of wonder. Oh, this here's some big magic, Quentin. Here in the big city, we fix people right up, like by magic. Big magic here. Quentin stared for a moment before he spoke. What's your home planet, Tweety? Tweety pounded his chest three times. Glory be to Thomas Three. Well, at least the nation has something in common with Thomas Three. Oh, and what's that, Rookie. Based on your intelligence level, I gather Thomas Three also has a major inbreeding problem. Tweety's sarcastic expression evaporated, replaced by a tooth-barred sneer. You better watch your tongue, boy, or your butt is mine. Sorry, I'm afraid I like women. I'm not your type. Tweety's right hand reared back, his taut muscles rippling under the skin. Quentin watched the hand and simultaneously watched Tweety's eyes. The big man stepped forward and threw his ham-sized fist, but Quentin moved so fast that the punch might as well have been thrown in slow motion. He stepped to the side, and the fist hit only empty air. Tweedy's momentum carried him forward a few awkward steps. In one smooth motion, Quentin reached out and snatched the towel from Tweedy's waist, holding one end in each hand. He pulled it tight, then snapped his left hand forward. The towel shot out like a striking snake and snapped Tweedy's rear end. All of this before the big linebacker could even recover from his missed punch. Tweedy stood straight up as he turned, his hands reaching back to cover his butt. His eyes grew wide with fury and his lips curled back in a primitive snarl. Fists clenched, he took a step forward, but stopped when Quentin held the towel tight once again, poised for another snap. Tweedy pointed his finger at Quentin. Put down that towel, you purest piece of garbage, and we'll settle this thing right now. Sure thing, Johnny boy, Quentin said. Maybe this time I can snap little Johnny right off your body. He twitched his shoulders as if to snap again, and the naked Tweety took a hurried step back. Someone in the locker room started laughing.
2: Barnes, put that towel down!
1: Quentin turned to see Hokor standing there, fur fluffed, his pettipelbs trembling. Put it down! Without looking, Quentin tossed the towel behind him. Tweedy caught it and wrapped it once again around his waist.
2: In my office, now!
1: Hokor stomped away, and Quentin followed. Here we go. He saw how I play in a real game, and now I'll get to talk about how he thinks I'm ready for more. Hokor's office was just off the central meeting room. Polo frames lined the walls, showing Hokor with Kraken's players as well as action shots of him on the sidelines of the DeKalb War Dogs, the Jupiter Jacks, and the Chilich Spider Bears. There were several pictures, the old-fashioned flat kind, showing humans that Quentin didn't recognize. One had a brimmed, houndstooth-patterned hat pulled down almost over his eyes. He wore an antique suit and had human players around him in crimson helmets with a white stripe and crimson jerseys with block-white letters and numbers. Another showed a squat, smiling man in a long coat with thick black glasses and a buzz cut. He was riding the shoulders of two dirty, happy men in green uniforms with yellow helmets. A football holo played in the center of the room, the glory war pigs playing host to the Kraken's next foe, the Grontok Hydras. How are the Hydras looking, coach?
2: They are my nightmare!
1: Hokor said as he sat behind his desk. The desk was curved like a half circle, made of some hard plant material Quentin had never seen before. Yet despite the alien wood in the alien city with the alien coach, Quentin couldn't help but think of Coach Graber sitting behind his desk back on McCovey.
2: They have great speed at receiver,
1: Hokor said.
2: They're outside linebackers. Locos the Bruce and Billis the Destroyer were all GFL last year, and Wichita is without a doubt the best cornerback in Tier 2. She'll probably be able to shut Haywick down completely.
1: As the camera changed angles, a score flashed. Warpigs, 22. Hydras, 12. If they're so good, how come they're losing? Hokor stared for a moment before answering.
2: Barnes, the Hydra score against the Warpigs doesn't matter. Nor does their record. Nor does it matter if the Hydras lose all their games. The only thing that matters is how they match up against us. And they match up very well indeed. Not that it matters to you. Of course it matters to me, Coach. Why wouldn't it? Because you're benched next week. Benched? Are you kidding me? For snapping John Tweedy on the butt? I do not care about the silly bonding games you human males play,
1: Okor said, his big eye flooding clear black. You're benched for that pass you threw. Quentin's jaw dropped. What the hell are you talking about? I threw a 55-yard touchdown
2: for High One's sake. A pass that I did not tell you to throw,
1: Hokor said as he slapped the desktop with his petty palps.
2: I told you to take a knee, and don't think I'm fooled by your trick of turning off your helmet receiver. Is this some kind of a joke? I do not joke. So how long am I out? One game, Okor said. You will dress to lessen your shame, but you will not see any playing time. It is important that the team sees you as a competent backup to Pine, so we'll keep this to ourselves. You are going to learn who is in charge here, Barnes.
1: Quentin stared at the diminutive coach. He wanted to come across the desk and punch out that one big eye. This is all to protect Pine, isn't it? Quentin said. You know damn well I should be starting. Right now, you're not fit to start a graph cab, let
2: alone start for a Tier 2 team, Okor said. The sooner you see that, the sooner we can start working to make you good enough to play in this league. I look pretty flippin' good today. You were playing garbage time against the worst team in the division, Okor said. Hardly an impressive outing. Now leave. I must prepare for next week's game.
1: Quentin stood and stormed out of the office, making sure to accidentally bump his shoulder against one of the holo-frames as he left. He heard the heavy thing crash into the floor and heard Hokor's angry yell, but ignored both and walked back to the human dressing room. Pine was there, dressed in a sharp blue suit that complimented his blue skin. Hell of a game today, he said with a wide smile. And a hell of a shot you put on Tweety! That guy's left cheek is already black and blue. Where'd you learn to do that? In the mines, Quentin said, as he sulked to his locker. Round bugs down there. Every kid carries a weighted rope. You learn early on how to snap the rope to kill any round bugs you see. You don't learn how to do it right, you die. Pine's face wrinkled in disbelief. What? Are you kidding me? How old were you when they taught you that? Five, Quentin said. That's when you start working in the mines. At five? Five years old? Working in a mine with poisonous bugs or whatever? Good God, Quentin, what kind of place did you grow up in? A chosen place, called the deep voice of Rick Warburg, where only the blessed can live. Pine laughed. Doesn't sound that blessed to me, champ. High one protects the faithful, Warburg said as he walked over. I see, Pine said. The faithful. And so, therefore, if a little child is killed by one of these bugs, then that's because that child was not faithful. So the child dies, and it's the child's fault? Warburg nodded. Pine shook his head. Say, Quentin, Yitzhak and I are heading out in the town. There's this great Chinese place just past the stadium. Pine's audacity amazed Quentin. The guy was pulling every string in the book to keep his starting job and was two-faced enough to try and be friends. I've got a place where Quentin would be more happy, Warburg said, with his own people. Pine looked at Warburg, then looked at Quentin, then shrugged and walked away. Finished getting dressed, Warburg said. I've got a surprise for you. Island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. You'll love the neighborhood, Warburg said. There are thousands of expatriate nationalites on INAth. Most of them came during the cleansing. Their grav cab floated along the magnetic track that led through the human cultural area. Grab cabs abounded in the dome city. You just hopped on, told it where you wanted to go, then enjoyed the ride. On McCovey, only the rich could afford any kind of car, let alone one with a driver. Here in INAth City, cars were not only available to anyone at any time, they were also free. The four-mile diameter dome created 12 square miles of ground, most of that space taken up by the main towering buildings of downtown Ionath City. The remaining space was home to the cultural areas of several species, Sklorno Key and Human, a 50-story high-pressure gas cylinder for the Hurrah, aquatic centers for the Lee Key, Dolphins, and Wittok, The human cultural area consisted of only six city blocks, which didn't leave a lot of room for individual neighborhoods that reflected the thousands of various human cultures. The human district, as the residents called it, was a hodgepodge of cultural influences crammed together in a claustrophobically confined space. Wait till we eat, Warburg said. An old couple owns the place, used to run a restaurant back on Allah down-home nation cooking. They've got a habanero falafel biscuit that will put your mouth into punch space. Quentin marveled at the area's diversity. A hotel catering to League of Planets residents, right next to a cafe that advertised food from the Tower Republic, next to a vodka-only liquor store that specialized in brands from across the galaxy. He saw dance clubs, restaurants, grocery stores, shops, all of which had signs written in Standard and hundreds of other languages. Shops and stores and restaurants packed one on top of the other and side by side. There were also dozens of places that, despite assorted cultural trappings, were easily identified by brightly lit signs showing stylized logos of liquor and beer combined with some image of football. Bars, it seemed, looked the same all over the galaxy. People of every type walked the streets. Back home, he was used to the skin tones of his countrymen. Black, brown, yellowish, and pinkish. But here, those tones mingled with others that never set foot on nation's soil. Blue, bleach white, reddish, and even the occasional deep purple skin of an amphibious human from the Wittak kingdom. The mongrel races, as they'd been called back home. And it wasn't just humans. Gaudily dressed key businessmen freely walked the streets, as did Quith leaders, Quith warriors, tiny Sklorno males, and floating hurrah. Amidst the diversity, he suddenly realized that one species was notably absent. Where are the Kretorakian soldiers? There aren't any. Quentin looked at Warburg. There aren't any. But how is that possible? They rule the universe. Warburg shrugged. Well, they don't rule here. The Quith are independent. The Bats never conquered them. The concept seemed impossible. All his life, he and his people had been ruled by Kretorakians. Quentin had never known a time when the omnipresent Bats hadn't controlled everything. So in the war, the Quith won? The Quith won while the purest Nation was conquered were the words that went unsaid. They can thank Satan for that, Warburg said. The Quith are in league with the low one. Temporary freedom for an eternity of fire, Quentin? It's hardly a good deal. Music of many differing styles filtered out of windows and open bar doors. Smells of enticing foods combined with the stench of garbage and the ever-present onion scent of Quith workers. Quentin had never experienced such a concentration of sights, sounds, and smells. Look at this place, Warburg said. Gesturing to the brightly lit signs of three different churches lined up side by side. Look at all the blasphemy that goes on in the galaxy, Quentin. It's as if a new religion pops up every day. Churches of every type filled tiny buildings, offices, and upper story lofts. He'd never imagined there were so many different religions. On McCovey, you either followed the purest way or you followed no way at all. Practicing other religions in nation space... Got you thrown in jail if you were lucky or dragged before a tribunal, which usually resulted in jail, public beatings, or being stoned to death. Someday, purest nation troops will walk down this street, Warburg said. Someday, all of these sinners will burn. Quentin said nothing. He didn't feel anger or disgust, he felt excitement. Excitement at something new and different. He suddenly realized that. For the first time in his life, he was free of not only the credit-rocking Empire's watchful eye, but also the purest church's constant restrictions. Here we are, Warburg said, as he hit the stop button on the automated grab cab. Quentin got out in front of a building with a flickering holo sign of the infinity symbol. Below the flickering sign were the words, The Blessed Lamb, and below that, a nondescript brown door. Some graffiti covered the plain black walls. Quentin couldn't make out most of the writing, but one message in Standard read, Haters Go Home. Warburg walked in, and Quentin followed. There was a brief pause as the men entered and heads turned, followed by a chorus of cheers and calls of Praise High One! Over half the crowd of 50-plus patrons wore the blue. Most of the men bore the infinity tattoo on their foreheads. Welcome, Brother Warburg, said a fat man in priest robes. We enjoyed your performance today. Thank you, Father Harry. Warburg warmly shook the man's hand. Three catches is a good day's work. Three catches for 28 yards, said a man in the right. He wore purest blue and held a coffee mug in his hand. And
2: let's not forget the highlight of the day, when you put that cricket in the hospital.
1: Thank you, Elder Grayson. Any word on his condition? Father Harry smiled. ESPN reports the beast is out for two to three games. Said her leg was nearly
2: severed at the knee.
1: A snarl smile covered Warburg's face and he pumped his fist. I tried to make that thing come right off. The word shocked Quinn. He stared at Warburg, wondering if the man was joking. Had he really tried to maim the wall crawler's defensive back? Warburg stood tall, and raised his voice. Hey, listen, everybody. I want to introduce you to the latest purest Nation export, Quentin Barnes. A round of cheers and applause filled the small bar. Hands reached out to pat Quentin's shoulder or shake his hand. He couldn't help but smile at the outpouring of affection. These were nationalites, church members, and they seemed to instantly accept him. Quentin didn't know what to make of it. A blessed game you played today, my son, Father Harry said. Two for two for 80 yards and a touchdown. Now that's showing the Galaxy what a nationalite can do. Maybe you'll be starting soon, Grayson said. Get some more passes
2: to Rick here. High one knows he'd have more catches if that damn blue boy quarterback would stop throwing to that scum Kobayashi. He doesn't even have half of Rick's skills.
1: Warburg shrugged and held up his hands as if to say, what can I do? Quentin's thoughts came back to football, and he felt his face turn red with embarrassment. He wouldn't be starting. He wouldn't even be playing in the next game. Benched. Benched. Quentin and Warburg were the center of attention, as the bar owners, a husband and wife team named Brother Guido and Monica Bassett, brought plate after plate of classic nation dishes. The conversation revolved around the hated Planetary Union, the hated League of Planets, the hated Tower Republic, the demonic Key, the demonic Sklorno, the demonic Quith, etc., etc. It was the same conversation Quentin had heard every day of his life, yet somehow, in this alien city, with his alien teammates probably only a few blocks away at their own cultural centers, the conversation seemed out of place. It even seemed wrong. He suddenly wanted to be somewhere else. And he wanted a beer. Several beers. Back on McCovey, he didn't care who he offended with his preference of beverage, but these people were so nice, and Warburg really had tried to make him feel at home. For the first time in Quentin's life, he didn't want to offend the people around him. He finished his fourth helping of habanero falafel biscuits, his mouth a dichotomy of tasty pleasure and fiery burning pain. He stood and smiled. Thank you all for your hospitality. You're leaving? Warburg said, amidst the groans from the other patrons. This is my first time in the city, Quentin said. I want to walk around for a bit. You want me to come with you? Quentin shook his head. No, thanks. You stay. I just want to take in the sights by myself. Warburg stood and shook Quentin's hand, starting a cavalcade of handshaking and back from smiling, happy expatriate nationalites. Father Harry stood. That took some effort thanks to his ample girth. He handed Quentin a plastic call shit. Quentin, my son, if there's anything you need, anything at all you have but to call, we have a network of nationalite business owners and travelers who can help you no matter what the problem. Quentin took the chit. The offer didn't surprise him. He'd received preferential treatment ever since he started his first game two years ago. But this was different. Before, he'd been treated with deference just because he was a quarterback. But here he had the feeling it had nothing to do with football. Well, almost nothing. It was mostly because he was a nationalite. There is one thing.
2: What is it, my son?
1: I'm... I'm looking for my parents. Are they on Ionath? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen them since maybe I was three. I think they left McCovey, but I, I don't know. Father Harry nodded knowingly. A sad nod. A supporting nod. I see. Don't be embarrassed, Quentin. Your story is quite common. Many of us, even in this room, had to leave the nation suddenly. Either leave or die. Families are scattered throughout the universe. So how do I find them? What are their names? I don't know, Quentin said, staring at the ground. I don't remember. I know their last name is Barnes, but that's all.
2: Do you have any other family?
1: Quentin held his breath. Here it comes. Now they find out I have no family and they treat me like garbage, just like they treated me back on McCovey. Quentin! Do you have any other family, brothers, any aunts or uncles? No, Quentin said. Father Harry clapped Quentin on the shoulder. Then we'll have to start from scratch, my son. We'll put the word out. Last name Barnes left McCovey about uh, 16 years ago? Quentin looked up into Father Harry's eyes. The man was still smiling, still supportive. Yeah, uh, 15 or 16 years ago. If they can be found, we will find them. Now, go enjoy your sightseeing. You are welcome here anytime. Quentin mumbled thanks, then walked outside. He didn't know what to make of it. These people were a support network, a small tribe in a hostile land. He felt the sense of community, of brotherhood. They offered to help him, not because he was a football player, but because they automatically considered him to be one of them. He had to travel hundreds of light years from his home to be accepted by his own people. It was so confusing it made his head hurt. He started walking. He'd never been treated like that before. Those people were so nice to him, so gracious and friendly and loving, just because he was a nationalite. And yet, those same people hated everything that was different from them. Not just hated, but wanted to destroy. He had walked only a few short minutes when the environment changed. The buildings looked the same, but the glowing signs showed alien words. Strange music flowed from open doors. If you could call it music. Some horrible screeching sound with rhythm. Quentin looked around him, realizing he'd walked right through the human district and into the Sklorno cultural area. Tall Sklorno females wrapped in heavy clothing walked about. Sklorno males abounded but here the tiny creatures moved in an orderly, calm fashion, nothing like the bouncing madness he'd seen at the game. He also realized he'd drawn a crowd. Looking about, he saw he was surrounded by sclornal females. They kept their distance, a good 15 feet, but ringed him nonetheless.
2: Well, 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 look who's out on the town!
1: Quentin cringed when he heard the deep human voice. John Tweedy. He turned to see Tweety and Yasud standing there. Perhaps leaning was a better description. Both men held magna cans of beer, and both looked like they had been drinking for hours. They were both stylishly dressed, although the clothes looked a bit worse for the wear, as if they'd both fallen down several times during the night. Tweety also wore a bandolier filled with magna cans. Take one down, pass it around, scrolled across Tweety's forehead. Hey Q! Yasud said. Hey, Quentin said, staring at Tweedy, bracing himself for some kind of conflict. So, what's a racist waste of skin like you doing in this Colorno district? Tweedy said. Quentin started to answer, but Yasud cut him off. Aw, leave him alone, Johnny. He's here, ain't he? Tweedy seemed to seriously consider this for almost five seconds, as if it were an advanced trigonometry problem. Uh, yeah he said finally, with a definitive nod of the head. Yesud laughed. I am finding our world-class linebacker ain't too sharp after you get a few in him. Tweedy reached into his bandolier and pulled out a magna can. Hey Q, you want a beer? It was the last thing he'd expected to hear from John Tweedy. Sure, Quentin said, and took the offered can. He twisted the top, feeling the can grow instantly cold in his hand. He took a long drink. The amazing taste exploded in his mouth. He looked at the can. Miller Lager. Where the hell did you get this? Tweedy's face furrowed in confusion. Uh, from a beer store? Yeah, but I mean, how much did this cost? Yasud laughed again. Five credits for a ten-pack? Five credits? You're joking. Yasud and Tweedy looked at each other, then at Quentin, and both laughed. Okay, fine, so it's cheap beer, Yasud said. Go to the store and get what you want. No, no, it's great. Quentin took another long pull, draining the can. I don't know how you got it for that price. Is there any left at the store? Yasud shook his head. Are you kidding me? There's a whole wall of it. They had to be joking, of course. Miller Lager was ten credits, a can, back home. Tweedy and Yasud started to walk towards a door. Quentin didn't know what the building was until he saw the glowing holo sign. Some logo he didn't recognize, with words he couldn't read, but in the middle of it was the familiar outline of a football. A sports bar. Tweedy and Yasud made it as far as the wall before they fell down in a heap. Yasud attempted to rise, while Tweedy didn't move. Quentin sighed. All of a sudden, he was the sober one and knew he had to get his teammates home. He signaled the grab cab and helped Yasud stumble in. Then he struggled to lift Tweety's 310-plus pounds, breaking a sweat before he rolled the big, muscular man onto the cab's floor. The vehicle was built to carry all types of sentience, including key, which meant there was still plenty of room. The Kraken's building, Quentin said. The grab cab slid noiselessly down the track.
3: One league Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. Opening week of the quith-irradiated schedule held few surprises. The Glory War Pigs 1-0, topped the Grand Tech Hydras, 0-1, thanks to a pair of interceptions by the War Warpigs' all-pro cornerback, Toyonaka. Last year's rookie sensation Condor Adrian showed why he's the hope of the Witch Up Pioneers, 1-0, throwing for 334 yards and three touchdowns in a 42-10 blowout win over the Quith Survivors, 0-1. Donald Pine, quarterback of the INF Krakens, 1-0, showed no signs of his age, throwing three TD passes in a 31-7 win over the Wu Wall Crawlers, 0-1. The Sheb Stalkers, 0-1, couldn't manage any answer to the Mad Jew Tweedy, who ran for 212 yards to lead the orbiting death, 1-0, to a 32-7 win. Jew notched three rushing touchdowns and knocked two Stalker defenders out for the season. The Big Diggers, 1-0, edged out a 21-16 win over the Sky Demolition, O-N-1. Deaths. Princeton, a kick returner for the Big Diggers, was killed on a tackle by Yella the Biter. League officials ruled that it was a clean hit. Week 1 Players of the Week. Offense. Condor Adrian, quarterback, Wittok Pioneers. 31-42 of 42 for 334 yards, 3 touchdowns, and no interceptions. Defense. Arkham, cornerback, big diggers, six tackles, one sack, two interceptions, and five passes defended.
1: You have been listening to The Rookie, season one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariac Morningstar with post production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com.
2: You're